You are listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 51. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, son, hey, son! Добрый день! Oh, oh that, where, where was that coming from? We have a fourth rogue! What is going on? Oh, this is just a ghost from the Czech Republic. Ooh. Oh, the Czech Republic. You sound familiar to me. And I'm pretty sure um, you sound familiar to our listeners as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm Claire Kleinberg. I uh, was on this show already in April. And now I've decided to crash your show tonight. <laughs> we'll see. We'll throw you out if you don't behave. <laughs> Actually, we don't need you to crash a show. We can do it ourselves. But uh, uh, <laughs> we really hope that you elevate the show. So welcome. Welcome, Claire. Great to have you. Welcome. Whee. Good to have you. Thank you. And uh, we have a special occasion uh, why we decided to, to have you in the first place. But it's a happy thing that we can have you for for the whole length of the show, which is great. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. <laughs> and we're all excited about the, the Congress that you're organizing. So tell us all about it. All right. So, you know, I've always wanted to do a telemarketing spot. So I'm going to use this time <laughs> to do a little bit of that. <laughs> use it away. So... Yeah. <laughs> um, As you probably remember, uh, the uh, European Skeptics Congress, the 17th European Skeptics Congress, will take place next year, mm -hmm. uh, September 22nd to 24th, in Wroclaw, in Poland. Uh, there's going to be a, a pre-event on Thursday, the 21st, for people interested in uh, going to Prague as well and connecting their trip uh, to the Congress with a little bit of sightseeing in Prague. So... Uh, you'll have a uh, chance to go to Skepticism for Breakfast uh, in Prague and then take a Skepti bus with all the other skeptics to Wroclaw, which will be a lot of fun. Wow. Uh, then in uh, Wroclaw, you'll have an opportunity to meet a, a huge amount of wonderful people and listen to great speakers. And uh, the best news about this is that you can buy your tickets starting December 12th. Mmm. Wow, that early. It's it's very surprising. Starting it early, wow. yeah. <laughs> Great. And not just that. If you buy in time, the first 50 tickets will be only for 80 euro. Wow. Wow. Can wow. And how much is it afterwards? 100. Okay. 20 euro saving. That is a very reasonable price. You can reserve the first three tickets for us. <laughs> <laughs> But don't tell anyone. So Yeah, don't no. tell anyone. Yeah, I won't tell it to anyone. I'll put you on my list and just, yeah, you'll have the first 80 euro tickets. No, but um, you can um, buy uh, tickets for 150 euro, which would include the skepticism for a breakfast event or the gala cruise on the river Odrad, which flows through Wroclaw. Or you can buy a 200 euro ticket which gives you both. It gives you the skepticism for breakfast, it gives you the cruise, and you can also take the Skepti bus within <laughs> right. that ticket. You don't have to pay extra to take the Skepti bus. So, yeah, there's a bunch of really good deals, uh, and I hope uh, all of you listeners will choose one of them. Wow. Right. 
I'm impressed. Sounds amazing. You, you guys are really going out of your ways to, to, to make this an absolutely amazing event. Uh, the main sponsor of this event is going to be Czechoslovak Models. Uh, well, do you, does that mean you have to model yourself, or do you, does it mean that you have models coming? Oh no, no, no! It's it's a it's a company. Oh, right. okay. It's a company okay. called Czechoslovak Models. It's an agency, modeling agency, the owner of which is the main benefactor of our paranormal challenge of the Czech Paranormal Challenge, and also a very uh, very accomplished businessman, and he has decided to sponsor the Congress and help us out with uh, affording some great speakers, including James Randi. Wow, wow, yes. So great, fantastic, incredible! You can't you can't yeah. go wrong, guys, with the lineup of speakers that you have and the all these extra offers and the cruises and the buses and a discount. <laughs> okay, give us a, a time frame. So when does that whole fun start and? When does it stop? So, <laughs> never oh, stops. the fun never stops. The fun, fun never stops. Especially with all the models. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, like I said, on Thursday morning, um, the fun starts at 8 in the morning on Thursday with the skepticism for breakfast, which will run until 11 in the morning. And then in the afternoon, buses will take uh, skeptics to Vratslav, mm-hmm. where they can uh, get accommodated, and there will be some small welcome event, but nothing official. Then on Friday morning, um, the Congress will start at 10 in the morning, and it will run through, throughout the day, and in the evening, uh, there will be a kind of like a party thing in a bar you know just have a couple of beers just relax get to know one another um then on saturday the congress will continue at, from 9 a.m and will run again the whole day with the evening uh, being ended by the gala cruise on the Odra river um where you will have uh the opportunity to see some nice magic and to hear some live music and uh, there is one more surprise that we have in store, but it's a surprise, so I won't tell you. <laughs> Will you tell us of the air, though? <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> and then on Sunday, um, that's uh, going to be the final day of the conference. And uh, what we plan to do is to kind of uh, leave it to the paranormal investigation topic and especially to a discussion panel with James Randi. And we will be ending by lunch, wrapping up the official part of the Congress by lunch. Whoever wants to stay in Wroclaw any longer, it's up to them. There will be skepti buses taking people back to Prague. Uh, on Sunday and on Monday morning. So it depends up to you guys when you want the fun to stop. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, fantastic. That is amazing. Sounds like a great uh, event. Yeah, I love how you uh, have skepti buses. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, we have skepti buses. We are the first to have skepti buses. (laughs) I know, I've never heard of it before. Yeah, so there will be a skepti breakfast and a skepti bus and a skepti cruise and a skepti what? Skepti magic. Yes. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> it's really cool. It's really cool. Yeah, but I've, the thing I'm like most excited about, and unfortunately I won't be able to go and see it, are the workshops that will are going to be for free for the uh, Polish people, the Polish locals. Um, I think that's an amazing idea. I, I don't know, maybe uh, I'm wrong, but I think if something similar has not been done before in, a, a, in connection with the European Skeptics Congress. 
that will this kind of outreach free workshops throughout the weekend during the congress mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's a great idea i, I don't know i I'd, well I, i've only been to one so i can't tell no. And the, those ones are not going to be in English, are they? No, no, no. They're going to be in Polish, done by Polish people for Polish people. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be lots of fun. There's going to be a talk about genet how, if it's possible to genetic genetically modify humans. There's going to be possibility tr to dress up as water molecules to learn about the importance of water. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be for kids. But, you know, it's still fun to dress up as molecules, even if you're an adult. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a good idea for... <laughs> Can I do that also? Just, Just... For fun. Sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know what, Pontus, you should do? You should dress up as a water molecule for the um, uh, Skepti uh, cruise. <laughs> Just jump right in. Maybe all three of us can do water molecules. Or we can be different molecules and uh, we can act out chemical reactions. <laughs> yeah. There is actually a really good YouTube video about this. You yeah. You still think about the models, don't you, Andras? <laughs> 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 I think I think you sold uh, you sold um Andres the uh, cruise. Yeah, the, yeah, there was uh, there was no other way of selling this this event to me. It's uh <laughs> No. But now that you mentioned the models, uh I'm I mean the skepti models. Yeah. <laughs> skepti models. <laughs> I've made my decision. I'm going. Hilarious. Okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, this really looks like a fun event to look forward to. When are the tickets on sale again? Uh, December twelfth, so it's twelve twelve. Okay, good. 12, so 12. you can buy, you can buy tickets for your beloved ones for Christmas. For, <laughs> yeah, or for whatever holiday you celebrate or don't celebrate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if you don't have any presents yet, buy them some knowledge and some skepticism. Cool. And where do you go to buy the tickets? Okay, you go to euroskepticscon.org. Oh, I'm I'm still worried about that uh, that URL though. I know you inherited it. It's it's not not you who came up with it, but Euroskeptics doesn't sound very nice these days. It's no no no. I know it has a political connotation that we're like skeptical of the European Union, but yeah yeah. But we we are not. I think I think this is the one of the best ways to celebrate European European unity. Yeah. And if someone is looking for uh, for a website uh, about your, uh, being skeptical about the European Union and they accidentally come to our website, then, you know, maybe we'll get a new follower <laughs> and change their life. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if it, it would be interesting to find out how many of the, the Eurosceptics are actually skeptics. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think there is a very strong correlation. No, I don't think so either. No, I, th I think that you'll probably find that... that um, some skeptics do support Brexit <laughs> and, and don't think Europe is a good thing, the European Union, and vice versa. So I don't think there is a... Okay. Yeah, cool. Lots of things yeah. to look forward to. I, I think it's about time to move on a bit. But I, I do want to mention something. Claire, you mentioned James Randi as one of the confirmed speakers at the conference. And uh, you must have heard that James Randi was just awarded the first Heinz Oberhumer Award in Austria. Yes. He was there in Austria uh, to accept the award. And ORF, the Austrian Public Broadcasting Corporation, they recorded the whole thing. They recorded the whole event and it will be broadcast on, uh, on television on the 10th of January as a special uh, edition of uh, Science Busters. So... Yeah, everyone can can hear him talk, and uh, there is a very nice uh, video 
uh, in anticipation of that event that was posted uh, by James Randi. And he actually mentioned the word ESP. He was not talking about us, of course, but uh, the first invention of, of ESP. And, uh, yep, now now we're here. The ESP is here. We, we reinvented ESP. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Super cool, isn't it? You did even meet meet him in person right in uh, at Psycon Claire. yeah uh, and I was at the end of October I was in at Psycon in Las Vegas and I was very lucky to be introduced uh, by Debbie Godard to Massimo Polidoro who in turn introduced me to James Randi so um, and it was really great to meet him he is such a sweetheart he's just such a pleasant person to talk to and yeah. um, he was so excited about the European Congress and uh, he said you know that he's never been to Prague either so we're very excited to have him in Prague as well so uh, we're really really looking forward to him being there yeah. and uh, Massimo is going to be uh, among the speakers as well isn't he yes he, yes where else from Europe will you have speakers uh, we will have speakers from UK, from the UK. We're uh, speaking with uh, Susan Blackmore, mm-hmm. who's also very excited, but simply by principle will not confirm until January. Okay. Uh, I think she's very excited, and her uh, she has a personal history with Poland, so she's very, very excited to come there. And we want to feature speakers from Poland and from the Czech Republic because uh, usually people are very much oriented on Western Europe, and they tend to forget about us a little bit. And uh, uh, we have wonderful, wonderful people and uh, very intelligent uh, skeptics as well. So we're going to have uh, some interesting Polish and Czech speakers. Mm -hmm. So it'll be very international. That's very good. Okay, well, um, events, international events, uh, talking of which, (laughs) we are going to move on and actually start the show. But first... Uh, let us move on to our segment presented by Yelena Levin with the title On This Day. Um, so the uh, something I want to talk t- today about is actually an event, it's not a person, that happened on the 5th of December in 1952. We talk a lot about climate change and pollution um, and the new initiatives um, that Europe uh, is taking and the French agreement, etc. Um, but actually, Donald we take Trump. it... I know, I, I wasn't going to mention him, but you can't really get away from that. <laughs> yeah. um, but we take it for granted that we live in a very clean environment now compared to what it used to be before. So in 1952, on the 5th of December, there was a dense smog descended on London. Uh, in England and uh, it lasted four days causing at least 4,000 deaths and chaos for transportation as visibility was reduced to a few hundred yards it's very hard to comprehend now that you know that was possible back in the days and it wasn't really that long ago and um, uh, freshening winds and the rise in temperature dissipated the fog which cleared on the 9th of December. And uh, although the London Underground could maintain service, but during the four days of smog, bus service was shut down, uh, mainly due to the fact that visibility was reduced so severely and all the roads became congested. Um, And uh, during the time of the um, fog, most flights into London Airport were diverted to Hearn, which was near Bournemouth. Um, And... um, 
the many deaths were amongst mainly the elderly, the very young, or those with medical problems. Um, so the cause of the smog uh, was coal burning and um, uh, it required um, drastic action. Um, and apparently there was a the Clear Air Act put into place in 1956, so just a couple of years after that. And now look how far we've come. I know there's still... And, you know, a long road ahead of us uh, in terms of um, tackling climate change and, and pollution, etc. But I think we have made uh, some good progress, unless we've, we've, we have been taken back by... Well, that's an interesting reminder that it actually was much worse several uh, decades ago. Yeah. Well, as I was actually talking about it, I, I thought about uh, other countries, maybe not European countries, because obviously they, they, those are more developed, but like China, maybe in Thailand and sort of other populated countries, I, I'm sure that the pollution there is much higher. And, uh, you know, how we see people wearing masks, that probably still goes on there. I think living in Europe is pretty comfortable. And it's such an important event in in the history of uh, environmentalism, um, so to say. The London-type smog is what it's called now. And uh, there is another, uh, a different kind of smog, which is, uh, which is uh, the Los Angeles-type smog. Mm-hmm. And uh, the London type is, is a so-called sulfurous smog because of the high concentration of, uh, of different sulfur oxides, the sulfur oxides in the air. This is one of the main reasons why it was... Uh, it was so deadly um, and and it was so harmful because it caused a massive amount of irritation as well in the lungs and and in the eyes of people and sm- different particles came the 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 point of condensation as well uh, for for the moisture in the air and and this is uh, due to all the industrial activity that was going on so with uh, with all the the different rules uh, to to prevent air pollution or or lower air pollution and with all the filters applied uh, in the industrial activities these days, yeah, it can be tracked back to to that event. Actually, quite quite a lot of people who live don't live in London but live, let's say, in the middle of the country in Yorkshire, um, they say. If somebody goes to London, they, they say uh, that they're going to the you know city of the smog, and I didn't know what that means for for a long time, but now I do because it actually you know used to be in a smog quite a lot. The word smog itself comes from comes from that event, and it's the combination of smoke and fog. So that's that's what it is. All right, thank you very much, Yelena. All right, pleasure. And now we're moving on to the events mm-hmm. uh, happening across Europe. So, we start on Monday, uh, Monday the 5th of December, with the Glasgow skeptics go to the uh, Café Scientifique and they will talk about the Zika... The, no, the Zika. Talk about the Zika virus. And we have uh, in Dundee something called unpredictable scottish scottish psychics with our friend uh, brian ego eggman very good in london in camden there is festive fun with richard weisman he is such a nice guy i that that would be perfect to go to that 
And also still on Monday on in Nottingham, we have Stephen Colgan's show, Mr. Green and Mr. Grey won't be visiting today, which we have talked about before. And on the next day, on Tuesday, the 6th of December, not only Father Christmas is visiting Central Europe, but Torino will host a talk about a one-meter-long story. And uh, that is actually about uh, the history of measuring distances, like the history of meter. And the speaker will be Paolo Cordiale. And uh, this is part of the uh, Piemonte, Chica Piemonte um, event, uh, which is uh, affiliated with La Razionale Alcoolica, which is uh, the Italian version of Skeptics in the Pub. On Wednesday the 7th of December in Stuttgart, there'll be a Skeptics meeting. It's just a meeting, no theme. People will just talk. Um, on the same day, Skeptics in, in the Pub in Greenwich which I haven't attended yet. I, I, I really, I'm really ashamed of myself because I actually live in the Greenwich. Um, and it's going to be a, a talk with Ash Price on how to be a psychic conman. And um, the last event on the day uh, will be in Brighton, Secular Humanist in the pub. Uh, it's just a seasonal talk uh, with Robert Stovold. From Santa to Suicide Bomber. Does faith fueled fun legitimize fundamentalism? I never thought I would read Santa and Suicide Bomber in the same sentence <laughs> before. You know what? I'm going to attend that uh, talk and I'm going to let you know how it went. Interesting. Okay, yeah. On Thursday, the 8th, uh, there, we go to Manchester and there is a talk called What are the lessons of history and will we learn from them? This is a talk by Victoria Stiles. Then in Worthing, a skeptics in the pub, the fear of Europe throughout English history with Chris Hare. Interestingly, we have no event to, to talk about on Friday the 9th of December, but we have several events uh, happening on Saturday. Uh, some of them in the afternoon instead of uh, in the evening, especially when it comes to um, Italian standards. Five o'clock in the afternoon, that's, that's pretty afternoon, it's not evening for, for Italians. Monfalcone. Uh, we'll host a talk uh, given by Margarita Piva, and uh, the title is A Metropolitan Legend. I have no idea what that's going to be all about, but it's organized by Chica Friuli Venezia Giulia, and it's a free event to, to attend. On the same afternoon, down in the southern part of Italy, in Apulia, um, the the local branch of Cheekup, uh, will host the second of a series of talks to, uh, with the title Mystery and Science Weekends with Cheekup Puglia. And this time, the talk will be about unexplained mysteries explained, from the origins of spiritualism to X-ray vision. And the speaker will be Giuliana Galati, who's a physicist. I love the name Puglia. Yeah, Puglia. Puglia. You know what, where Puglia is? Is the... Is the heel of the... Of the boot. The boot. The boot, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then on the same day, there will be a Skeptics in the Pub in Madrid. Um, and the theme will be balloons on the outside, charlatans on the inside. Hmm. Biffy. Uh, and then uh, in Liverpool, the Merseyside Skeptics have their Christmas party on Saturday evening. That sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, and that's the last event we know of for, for this week. Okay, Claire, do you have anything to add to that uh, uh, happening in the Czech Republic or around the area? 
Um, well, uh, the every Friday we have a skeptical social studies uh, seminar. Okay. Uh, which focuses on uh, different uh, skeptical topics within uh, within social sciences. On Friday, uh, December 9th, uh, Tomasz Bayer will be speaking about cartography from a skeptical point of view. Mm. Cool. This has been um, all the events happening this week. Um, let's see what's going on across Europe. Uh, what is there to talk about? So the first news item we have is uh, last year's receiver of the Swedish Skeptics Award, Educator of the Year, was something called Viral Granskaren. So I guess that's why I got that uh, topic, right? Because I'm the only one who can pronounce that. (laughs) It is a regular column in the Swedish uh, edition of the Metro newspaper. So it can be translated as the, the, the viral monitor. So they have a standing column. Uh, that uh, where they go through things that has gone viral and they discuss whether it's true or not. So it's a very good thing. Now they have recently made a a very instructive little video in both English and Swedish and uh, that is now circulating in social media. This video shows how just a short googling could stop you from spreading misinformation on Facebook or, or other places. And the example they use is a real news item that was widely spread and mischaracterized a few weeks ago, especially in other countries in Sweden, uh, than Sweden, because in Sweden we knew that that couldn't be true. But it claimed that uh, Christmas lights had been banned in Sweden not to offend Muslim immigrants. But the real news was about uh, uh, you're not allowed to attach Christmas lights on poles that belong to the national roads authorities and this is due to technical and legal considerations had nothing to do with religion had nothing to do with immigration but it still made it viral so christmas lights are banned in sweden (laughs) Uh, but that's not true but it's great to see Uh... that uh, the award went to someone or something that continues to do great work regarding critical thinking and uh, just to make it clear it's not banned in Sweden to have Christmas lights. I've only been been uh, to Sweden during the winter and uh, it was beautiful with all the snow and everything. Yeah, yeah. I've been so yeah, in Christmas time in, uh, it would be a shame not to have all the lights on. Yes, of course. I mean, it was a silly, <laughs> silly news, but it went, a lot of people took it seriously. Ah, huh? uh, like all the silly news that, that are circulating these days, right? Silly news, yeah. So we are living in the post-truth era, so... Mm. Nothing to be surprised about. I actually even remember that news item from from last Christmas. That uh, reading it in a Czech newspaper mm-hmm. about Sweden banning the Christmas lights because not to offend their uh, Muslim citizens. Yeah, I think I think it was covered even in Hungary. So when when it starts circulating, there is no way of stopping it. So. Are we going to stay with the topic of Christmas? Yeah, I think so. I think I might as well face it. Um, okay. Well, so this topic um, I want to talk about has been published in several newspapers lately because, of course, we are um, nearing Christmas time and anything Christmas goes. Um, it was published as an alleged research done by some scientists, but actually it was no research at all. 
And uh, it was just an opinion piece by a couple of the scientists. One of them was from Exeter uh, University in, in, in England. Um, basically, uh, the heading was something along the lines of parents urged to stop pretending Father Christmas um, is real. And um, because lying to children could damage them. So basically they're saying that all the children will eventually find out uh, they've been consistently lied to for years and this might make them wonder what other lies the parents have told them. And um, the, some of, one of the doctors um, said that uh, there was clear evidence um, from film and television tastes that adults looked for a chance to be children again and uh, um, whether it's right to make children believe in Father Christmas um, is an interesting question and it's also uh, interesting to ask whether lying in this way will affect children in a way that have not been considered. And so I think th there was also um, some criticism posted after this article. Um, first of all, like I said, it's not the research um, or, or there's no data or anything like that, uh, but just an opinion of these two scientists. Um, and second of all, um, it implies that kids' life will fall apart all of a sudden if they discover that their parents lie to them. And that shouldn't, well, certainly shouldn't be the case. Uh, kids shouldn't think that parents is the authority uh, above everything. Authority must be questioned. And of course, kids should question the authority of their parents and not because uh, they, they're the parents, but because they want to make sure that, you know, the, the truth is discovered no matter what. Steve, Stephen Novella, who some of our listeners might know from the um, Skeptic's Guide to the Universe um, uh, podcast, he wrote... Um, he wrote a piece uh, where he he's basically uh, crushing this article and he is a father of two and he said um, it was fine for the kids to believe in it until they didn't anymore, until they discovered themselves, you know, over time that it cannot be possibly true and uh, nobody was traumatized. They still trust him and... Uh... <laughs> but that's... That's just anecdotal evidence. He should know better than to argue like that. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, Pontus, uh, yep. seeing that you've got... That's kids. still just an anecdote, if, if Pontus mm -hmm. says so. Still, yeah, but... Yeah. <laughs> I know, but, but it's interesting to have uh, different opinions. My anecdotal evidence is yeah. that it's, it was, it's a very good thing. I mean, it, yeah. for us, it was a game. We, we, we played the game every year and in Sweden the tradition is you actually meet Santa Claus. In some countries you just discover the presents in the morning after but in, in Sweden you actually somebody in the family dresses up and comes and, and gives the presents and of course the very young children they, they think it's the real Santa and eventually they find out that this is just a game and it's just I, I'm still Santa Claus every year and I'm looking forward to be it still this year. So, and it's a game, and I think it's a good way of of uh, softly introducing the concept that some things you couldn't, you can't take too seriously or too literally. Sometimes people make things up, and it could be good fun. Well, so well, one of the really great conclusions that uh, Steven Novella makes is that the Santa myth is being uh, b uh, benign and it can be used to teach children that, that authorities should not be believed absolutely. Um, there is no guardians of truth and uh, that the culture is also really complicated and there's a lot of beliefs uh, perpetuated in the culture that are simply not true and so the santa myth can be used as, as like training wheels for critical thinking it is a fun and benign myth like you said it's a fun game um 
but one that kids can figure out on their own, uh, even at a young age, like maybe, you know, even as young as five. And I remember actually uh, that my dad used to dress up as, uh, we didn't call him Santa Claus, but Det Maros. It's somebody who comes on New Year's rather than Christmas because we never celebrated Christmas. He's like Befana in Italy. Something like that. <laughs> but yeah, and it's, like you said, it's just a game and um, it's a great training for yeah. kids. To my niece, I was um, something like a father figure. Uh, and for a, for a little while, uh, a long while actually, we, we lived together under under one roof, and uh, and it was interesting to see how her mind started to to spot all the the, the, the different <laughs> all the bullshit that you the told different. Her. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just want to say it like it is. <laughs> no, the the. the um, different um, points of arguments about uh, Father Christmas and we uh, the the adults around her we didn't deliberately try to to maintain this this myth so sometimes she was just listening and when she picked up something that we said about giving uh, each other Christmas gifts um that's how she started to put the whole picture together mm. and uh it wasn't an abrupt event of her realizing how it happened it just gradually moved away from her this this myth and became oh yeah of course and one one christmas i remember one christmas she said of course i know that the the christmas presents are coming from you guys why wouldn't I know? <laughs> Claire, have, what, what's what's your uh, what's your opinion? Do you think these kind of lies kill kids' enthusiasm? enthusiasm? I, I have to um, first kind of um, introduce the background. So on Christmas on twenty fourth, uh, like we have baby Jesus who yeah. delivers the gifts. We call Same it baby Hungary. Jesus, yeah. and he brings gifts under the tree. But on December sixth. Uh, we have St. Nicholas who goes around with angels and devils and uh, scares the shit out of all the kids the devil does. <laughs> and what what the point is uh, that the kids should be scared into being obedient and being good and, uh, you know, not question their parents' authority. And if they're good... Um, St. Nicholas will give them give them uh, some candy. If they're naughty just a little bit, then the devil will give them a potato or some coal. But if they're very bad, the devil put, will put them in his burlap sack and take them to hell. Yeah. But first, before anything, you have to sing or recite a poem. So imagine, you are a five-year-old or a six-year-old kid walking down the street, or, the, or they come, or your parents invite those people into your home, and you get accosted by someone dressed, or okay, by St. Nicholas, so a, a tall guy with, in a red robe, a big beard, and a, a pointy hat, and an angel and uh, a devil who has chains and a burlap sack, usually like with a leg sticking out of it or something. Yeah. And <laughs> wow. the devil scares you, and then you're forced to recite a poem or sing, and then your fate is decided if you're going to go to hell or if you're going to get candy. Oh. I, honestly, uh, I think that's like a terrible thing to do. It's a horrifying <laughs> so. cast. <of> horrifying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Doesn't sound like the nice game we're playing. Yeah, that's in like Sweden. torturing I mean, kids. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I've heard parents be, say yeah. it to, to me before, and I'm sure uh, uh, 
you guys also know from your personal experience or whatever that like to get kids to do what you want or to make them be sort of more obedient you've got to lie to them sometimes like through your teeth like promise them stuff whatever it takes but scaring them shitless i don't think it's, it's, it's not yeah, a good plan i have i have been santa claus actually so i i have i have played the role of saint nicholas um mm-hmm. on on several occasions yeah but you didn't mm-hmm. scare them did you <laughs> and it depends on the children because mm. some children are easy to scare and other and and i didn't mean to scare but but the moment they <laughs> they saw me they 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 were scared shitless really mm. and, and it was <laughs> <laughs> That's not a good sign. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. But I think this um uh, Saint Nicholas thing, it's um it's a very central European thing. It's it's in the German and Austrian part of the culture as well. So Claire, uh, do you use the word Krampus? Uh I know it. I know it's the German uh kind of uh mythological being that also tyrannizes bad kids but we don't have it and and that usually comes um hand in hand with uh santa claus so this is this is um, in hungary for example the the little devil devils that that are following santa claus and and punishing those who have not behaved properly they are called the little little krampuses I just remember all those kids, you know, singing and reciting through their tears. I think on <laughs> just like <laughs> I think next December 6th I'm just going to stay home because I can't see those crying children. <laughs> it's like it's like a cruel central european um way of doing trick or treatment. Pretty way, very much, yeah. Yeah. It's treatment all right. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, trick or treat. Um I keep saying trick or treatment because of the book. <laughs> So uh that's enough of dwelling on on Christmas. Oh. And uh we're not even there yet. I know. But uh I have to say that uh for homeopaths uh especially in the United Kingdom it's not Christmas these days. Just to, uh, when you mention what's going on uh with the good thinking society they're slowly but surely wiping out uh, homeopathy of the NHS system. But there is another problem for homeopaths uh which is the advertising standards authority in in the UK you probably remember uh, a couple of months ago uh, i even talked about it on the show that uh there was um a guideline an advertising guideline uh, issued for homeopaths and uh that was distributed among uh the members of the society of homeopaths and now they are also scared shitless apparently so now they are trying to to legally challenge the whole thing uh based on the alleged illegal bias against uh, homeopaths so because the guidelines specifically said that you cannot make any claims regarding what the homeopathic pills you are trying to sell uh can do to you so no claims of being being an actual remedy to to some illnesses or conditions that was understood by the by the uh, society of homeopaths as an attack against them uh that was originating in an illegal bias as they trying to they're trying to put it 
So that is uh, a bit of a serious initiative that is going on now. Now they are trying to ask their members and trying trying to um, pull the efforts together uh, of their members to, to legally challenge not the content of these guidelines themselves, but whether the Advertising Standards Authority and the Professional Standards Authority as well are the legitimate authorities to standardize these things that the the homeopath are affected by so i'm really looking forward to seeing uh how it unfolds but uh obviously uh, from a skeptical point of view it's just ridiculous that the way they're trying to tackle such a problem or such an attack as they're trying to put it is not that they are providing real evidence and uh and they are making only claims that that can be proven no what they're trying to do is taking legal action against an authority uh, that is trying to uh, regulate their field. So, yeah, that is the way quacks are usually going. One thing we often say about acupuncture is that if the practitioners really know anything about healthcare, why do they? Why why are they not wearing gloves? If you Google pictures of acupuncture, you, you're very hard-pressed to find anyone wearing gloves while, while doing acupuncture. Yeah. So, so now there's a sad story from Norway uh, that relates to this. Uh, it happened in 2015, but it hasn't been uh, in the news until now, uh, when the Norwegian national broadcaster uh, NRK put, uh, reported on it. So it was about a man who was visiting a training clinic for new acupuncturists so i wouldn't go near an acupuncturist and i wouldn't go near a clinic for new acupuncturists either <laughs> and so he was treated by a student and this student uh, pulled out a needle that apparently had been inserted into the wrong place how you now can find what is the right or wrong place yeah. uh, but anyway so the needle was pulled out <laughs> and then pushed in again in another place oh and uh, this is the probable cause for the man getting a blood infection yikes and yeah and he fell extremely ill after four days he had two consecutive heart attacks uh, and then he died so uh actually it's it's rare to have a I mean, we can say that it's dangerous with acupuncture. They, because they're not wearing gloves, they're not hygienic. They don't appear, appear to believe in germs in the germ theory. Uh, but here we can see that it's actually true. You you can die from it if if you're really uh, unlucky. Mm. Mm. Sorry to bring everybody down, but it's oh no, it's news. fine. I mean, yeah. uh, yeah. can I ask about another Chinese medicine related death? Mm -hmm. Have you guys heard about the slapping therapy, that lady who just oh, yeah. died in England? Yeah. Oh, that's my really wrong segment for this. This. this <gasps> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So very apt, very correct. Yeah, Claire, you're right on the spot, eh? <laughs> so Pontus, please explain this to me. <laughs> yeah, I'll do when it's time for that segment. He will when it's time for that, yeah. Great. <laughs> um, I'm not sure how many of our listeners were aware of the UFO attacks on Turkey that happened around uh, November 27th. Um, yes, so allegedly they got attacked. Oh dear. Um, no, it was a hoax. Uh, it was um, 
a hoax circulated by one of the sites on Facebook um, that um, the, the UFO uh, was attacking Turkey and there was panic spreading like wildfire uh, on social media um, with a lot of uh, news outlets picking it up because obviously they could get lots of clicks. And um, so the story played out as if many people were seeing and reporting the same cluster of lights in the sky across the country um, and le- even later in other places. Um, but Obviously UFO. UFO, yeah, yeah. If you see cluster of lights and it looks like a triangle, sort of three dots, that must be UFO. It can't be anything else. Technically, until you can identify what it is, it is a UFO. Yeah, but let's we, we're talking about the obviously aliens from outer space in this oh, yeah, context. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that, of course, wasn't w- what was happening. Um, the, there was some investigation into these happenings done by the reporters. Um, and, um, of course, they found out very shortly afterwards that those images were uh, just some old images pulled from the Internet, as old as uh, dating uh, 2007, because you could do like an Im- image search in Google. Um, and uh, those were images of uh, some uh, aircrafts in the night, some light shows. Um, one of them was... Uh, um, uh, an image of a um, planet Venus, which apparently became quite um, prominent in the sky uh, lately, and you can see it uh, in the night it's shining really, really bright. And it looks as though it's moving, but it's actually not. To the human eye, it, it, it's, it's, it's human eyes fooled into thinking it's moving closer or farther away, um, or changing shape, but it's actually not. When the investigation was done, uh, it, it all led to this website called Secure Team YouTube channel um, and they have uh, thousands of subscribers, uh, 145 million views and it's basically like a clickbait factory. They just, uh, they after any story that generates the um, the clicks and the views and um, they're known for just posting some hoax. And um, I mean, I was... I wasn't aware. I don't know how many people were about it. And uh, obviously there's a lot of skeptics who'd, who'd check those kind of claims first. But one of the main reasons that um, UFO enthusiasts were claiming the reasons why it wasn't reported by the mass media is because, of course, the whole mass media is bought by the government. Uh, oh, yeah. And the government um, conspired to uh, uh, do anything in their power um, not to release this information. And so it's all kind of was feeding this whole uh, conspiracy conspiracy loop was feeding on each other Mm. and of course it made total sense that uh yeah sure i mean there's a lot of things strange things happening in turkey at the moment but i don't think ufos are (laughs) are among them absolutely and uh, it's probably one of the ways to to divert the attention but anyway so there was all you could see how it all could fit in nicely into this uh, conspiracy thinking um divert the attention you said well from are you trying to cover a conspiracy theory with a conspiracy theory yeah (laughs) It has been done before, you know. I was going to say, due to the fact that the, the, the basically the country is falling apart. Look at this shiny light in the sky. Don't think about the... Do you remember what we learned uh, yes, when yes. we attended the, the Seriously Suspicious Conference? I know, I know. And I actually, I actually thought about this. So the Seriously Suspicious Conference that uh, me and um, Andres attended. But uh, in any case, it has been debunked. However, of course, the believers still believe uh, that it's been cover up. And those who were skeptical 
said to each other, well, I told you so, or whatever. So I guess the moral of this story is um, there are no UFOs now. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, the, 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 the moral of the story is that, uh, just don't believe anything on the internet and especially on Facebook. I mean, um, the whole, fr- whole frenzy started off from the Facebook uh, post and I find, found myself actually um, pulling away from Facebook and getting... I, I used to get a lot of my news from Facebook. I don't anymore because I found myself in this bubble of... Well, first of all, you don't know what fake news are and you can't check every single source. So you're just like in this acre chamber of all this information probably half-baked, being peddled to you by somebody. Um, and so, yeah, Facebook is not a good source for the news. I, I can't tell you which newspapers to go to for the good news because each newspaper has got its own faults, but variety, you know. <laughs> and Turkey is not attacked by you. Yeah, but um, I, I'd like to get back for a, for just a moment to the Serious and Suspicious Conference because one of the most interesting things that we learned there uh, was that even though it's not conclusive, uh, but there are results showing that the more powerless you you feel you are more prone to to believing conspiracy theories mm. which is which is very interesting it and is interesting. this is i mean the the more you lose control you feel you lose control the more you want to believe in a in a conspiracy theory because that is somehow explains it regaining control but that explains it yeah, yeah, it explains that why you're yeah. not in control and why others are yes. grabbing the controls. Yeah, yeah. So it feels safer. Yeah, yeah. Strangely enough, it feels safer to believe in lizard people than not to, than just living in ignorance. Yeah. And in a way, it makes sense uh, based on this. It it yeah. does make sense for Turkish people to to come up with something like that. Because they they must feel very powerless. Yeah, but the th- the the thing uh, the thing with the Turkish thing, uh, well, with this particular story was that after Turkey, the news about the UFO um, invasion kind of came from all across the globe. There was so from from America, yeah. from England, etc. So anybody who is anybody decided to just get on the bandwagon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, but I I really don't get it. And uh, why 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 the UFOs? <laughs> That's so nineties. The UFOs, and uh, it's still ongoing. Have you ever seen something on the sky that made you stop for a moment and think that oh, that's odd? I I haven't, but I'm sure one probably could easily because obviously we we can't explain everything that's you know flying there. Is that there are there are many many things happening there. Even even when you just think about the the scintillation, uh, the the twinkling of the the celestial bodies, um, uh, especially when when it's low c- closer to the horizon, uh, coming through uh, a, a thicker layer of atmosphere, they can twinkle like crazy, and but then sometimes you even see see absolutely weird shit like. Um, do you know what the Iridium satellites are? No. They're telecommunication satellites, but they, they are huge. And sometimes when they go on their uh, trajectory, sometimes they can produce flares. And there is there are websites where you, you can follow them. And when you, you know the exact time and the exact location where you, you're looking at the sky, you can actually know exactly what moment it will light up in the middle of the sky what what makes it light up it's a reflecting sunlight by the, by the the solar panels 
And once I'm, I made a fool out of uh, one of my flatmates because uh, using that, that I knew exactly. And, and we were out chatting. And then at one moment I said, look up. And he looked up and two seconds later or five seconds later, something like that, <laughs> that was a flare. <laughs> and he said, how did you know that? Psychic. Science, bitch. Uh, <laughs> Claire, have you experienced any UFOs? Unfortunately, no. It's very disappointing. <sighs> Still waiting to be abducted, yeah. <laughs> but I always watch the so-called meteor shower that happens at the beginning mm -hmm. of August. That's really, really cool. Actually, Czech Republic, uh, and especially South Bohemia, is the ideal place for watching mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. The per the Perseid mm -hmm. meteor shower. Lovely. I nice. always try to catch that, but it's always uh, cloudy, so I can never see it. <laughs> yeah, I was a high school student. We we regularly went out and and see it from from the most distant part of of Hungary or one of the most distant parts where there was virtually no <laughs> virtually no light pollution. And uh, and one night I remember we counted more than three hundred of them. Nice. <laughs> That was amazing. All right. Uh, yeah. Talking about science, talking about uh, everything that uh, uh, moves us forward and transparency, which helps you uh, avoid uh, conspiracy theories, I think, because there are lots of conspiracy theories uh, that include um, pharmaceutical companies as well. There is a campaign, a global campaign called All Trials, um, initiated um, by Ben Goldacre and uh, co-run by Sense About Science. It's one of the greatest uh, campaigns of Sense About Science. But now, um, Open Trials is uh, is a different thing. It's it's basically um, an application. It's basically some, some kind of a software that tries to make searching the FDA, the, the US Food and Drug Administration's database um, of uh, clinical trials, uh, easier to search and uh, more accessible to everyone who wants to find out about a certain drug or the trials uh, that have been done on it. And um, this is why uh, the, FD, uh, the Open Trials FDA is a collaboration between Dr. Eric Turner, a psychiatrist, researcher and transparency advocate, Dr. Ben Goldacre, uh, whom we probably all know. He's a senior clinical research fellow in the Center for Evidence-Based Medicine at the University of Oxford in the UK. And um, there, is, um, there is an organization called uh, Open Knowledge International. And they, they got together, they, they started developing this Open Trials. And this Open Trials is now a finalist for the Open Science Prize, which is a global prize and uh, they they give a prize to prototypes uh, that are most novel and impactful. And the the grand prize is two hundred and thirty thousand dollars US dollars, and selected by the National Institute of Health and the Wellcome Trust. And it will be announced on Mar in March twenty seventeen. So, but why we are mentioning it is because there is a voting now that is open starting in December the 1st, so it's now open, and closing in January, on January the 6th, 2017. So everyone can vote. We're going to um, put the link to the show notes, 
and you can follow the link, find out what the the prize is all about, what Open Trials is, uh, read up on it because it's it's a very interesting read, and please put your vote to it. So if you help this initiative of uh, transparency in clinical trials with uh, casting a vote on uh, Open Trials FTA, then uh, you'll help the cause a great deal. So please make sure that you do. Yeah. Good. And I think this is uh, all for this uh, for this week. Uh, otherwise, we would end up with a three-hour sh- long show that no one would listen to. So let's move on to our new segment. We still have interviews recorded at QED. By the way, this is actually a third time for you to be on the show, Claire. Oh, yeah. Third is a charm. Because mm. not too long ago, uh, you were featured on our uh, QED report as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's true, yeah. <laughs> but this time, it's going to be Cara Santa Maria. Unfortunately, Pontus was not around when Yelena and I managed to sit down with Cara Santa Maria. If you don't know who she is, uh, you should look her up. Uh, she's one of the, the rogues of uh, Skeptics, the Skeptics Guide to the Universe, and she has her own podcast as well, Talk Nerdy. And she's a science communicator and uh, a brilliant one at that. So this is our uh, QED report for this week, our short interview with Cara Santamaria. Okay, we're still here at QED, Question Explore, Discover uh, in Manchester, where uh, the whole thing is about to end, uh, come to its end, which is a very sad thing. But an uplifting thing is that uh, Yelena and I are sitting here with uh, none other than Cara Santamaria. Hi! Hi. So wait, how do you pronounce your names? Because that was so difficult for me, what I just heard. It's spelled J-E-L-E-N-A. So I always introduce myself as Jelena because it's easier. But actually it's Yelena. It's a Russian name. Yelena, yes. It's a Russian you name. with a funny accent. Well, because he's got an accent. <laughs> oh, okay. So I said Yelena. 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 Because people don't get the L sound because gotcha. it doesn't exist in some languages. Sure. And I think Hungarian must, must be one of those. But it yeah. exists in Spanish with a double L. Okay. So, um, right, because you said it's Yelena. Yelena. Yeah, because okay. in Spanish you would, yeah, it would be Yelena with one L and Yelena with two L's. Okay. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> awesome. You, you speak Spanish then? I don't, but my mother is a native Spanish speaker, so I heard it a lot growing up. Um, I don't, my, it's horrible and my my vocabulary is terrible. I took many years in school and I'm nowhere near fluent, but um, I apparently have a decent accent. That's what I'm told. So I can read it out of a book with a good accent, but I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, but um, yeah, also brilliant was your talk um, this morning, which was, uh, I'm pretty sure, um, was very uplifting and uh, energizing for for women. But Yelena can, can, can talk more about that. Oh, absolutely. And I always go on about it, maybe not enough, actually, on a podcast, how important it is for women to be empowered and have role models out there who'd show them the way, so to speak. And uh, Kara, you just do it so beautifully and so eloquently. And you, your talk was absolutely great. Great. So thank you so much. And I don't know if QD recorded it and if it's ever going to be available on YouTube. Uh, but um, if uh, if it is, um, I, I, I highly recommend to all the listeners to definitely look it up. And also just look up any talks by mm-hmm. Kara or her, 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 your work because you, you do you do such a great and important work in science communication. Um, science is hard. 
and um, it's uh, but it's also exciting and I think we need people like you to empower people and excite them about science so that they can apply themselves and, and sort of learn more about it and especially women in science field so yeah I definitely yeah Oh, well, first of all, thank you so much. I, I'm having such a great time at QED. It's my first time here. It's only my second time to the United Kingdom. Um, and everybody has been so welcoming and made me feel uh, just so good to be here. There was a great turnout at the talk this morning, which I was surprised by because that was the first talk. I thought everybody would be hungover in bed. But um, no, everybody came. Most people came. It was very nice. They were all um, hungover. But they, they were hungover, here. but they were present, <laughs> which is amazing. And they cheered very loud, which was very sweet. Um, and I had a lot of fun. I was really energized by the audience. As far as um, women in, in science fields, I completely agree. You know, it's funny because when we're young, there's no gender difference at all. Little girls love science the same way little boys do. It's absolutely an innate um, kind of viewpoint of the world, the scientific method, the scientific uh, mindset. I want to know how things work. I want to question everything. We're all little skeptics when we're growing up. And then we beat it out of girls. It just starts to go away. And it happens at various stages. I think one of the specific periods in the life when we really have to get to our girls is kind of between the ages of 9 and 12. It's a very um, typical time when girls start to ostensibly lose interest in science and gain interest in what they consider to be more um, fields that are more fit for girls. And they start to act differently in their science classes, especially if we're talking about uh, schools where boys and girls are not separated. When they're in the same classroom, we see a lot of issues there because boys are prefer preferentially treated and called upon in science and math classes. And girls have a lot of problems with uh, things like stereotype threat. Um, so I absolutely agree that um, we need to see we need to push them at the right times, or not even push them, but ensure that the ones who are already interested don't lose interest and we don't change their pathway. Um, and it's very hard as a young girl to think, I could do that if you've never seen another woman do that. And so just having people in positions um, where you can see them, first of all, so in the lab, um, but also in front of the camera playing characters that are those lab scientists. You know, it's almost as important to see more female scientists as it is to see more representations of female scientists on television and in film. So both of those areas are big interests for me, and that's what I um, try to promote. So... Um I know that you do a lot of uh, outreach in, in America, you know, what to do with science communication, obviously, it's your, it's your thing. Um, what do you do in terms of, like, going, do, do you ever go into schools uh, specifically and give talks and engage kids? Because, obviously, we know now where the problem is. It, it is definitely starts, you know, at school level. Yeah, I try um, when I can, when, uh, when there's an invitation to come into the schools, you know, you don't... It's kind of against the law to just wander into a school <laughs> as an adult and start trying to. But oh, yeah, just yeah, exactly. But no, I um, I, I am invited to give talks in schools. I, I often will go and do that. I also one of the television shows that I work on. It's uh, called Fab Lab, and it's a show um, that is a Saturday morning kids show, but it's specifically focused. Girls and boys like it, but we try our best to represent young girls on the show as often as possible. And we've even done some episodes where we went to uh, girls' schools and we recorded at the girls' school schools and um, talked a lot to the girls there, talked about the cool science that they're doing, did some experiments with them, but also just were, were very present. So I do think that that's really, really, really important um, to get out in the community and also to get into places where you have more eyes on you, like like in television and, and, and things of that nature. Yeah. 
And for those of our listeners who were not lucky enough to be here to, to listen to your talk, uh, what would you recommend to uh, mostly, predominantly the girls and uh, women who, who would like to do something about, about this situation and try to improve that? Yeah, so the first thing I would say is if you're in a position where you've always thought that you would like to do more science communication but you never knew how, I highly recommend that you just try because what you will face an experience that's very similar to what all of my friends, all of my peers, all of my colleagues, and me myself experienced, which is that at the beginning, you, you can screw up as much as possible because nobody's really listening right at the beginning. And so it's a learning curve for you the same as it is for your audience. As you grow and get better and react to audience feedback, your audience will grow with you and develop alongside you. So don't be afraid to get all your ducks in a row. I don't know if you guys have that expression. Do, yeah. You do. Okay. Or don't be afraid to make sure that everything is perfectly in line before you're willing to start. Just do it. You might not have good audio equipment. Just do the podcast anyway. Way. You might not feel like you have a really good functional blog. Just write something and figure out a place to put it online. And then it'll it'll get better and it will improve as you go along. I think the biggest limitation that we have as women trying to get involved in science communication and get our voices out there is a fear that it's not going to be good enough. Just do it and it will get better the longer that you do it. Sorry, just want to mention uh, the TED talk about how girls from the early age and boys actually are taught to fear failure and mm -hmm. we shouldn't ever be afraid to fail because how else would you improve? Um, so it's a, it's a great point. Yeah. Um, on that note, have you ever been invited to do a, t a TED talk? Would you like to do one? So I've never been invited and I'm not sure that I would want to. Well, I, of course I would I. Let me put it this way. The same, I, I hear this from a lot of people like myself who um, are interested in writing books and we're talking to book editors, but we're not quite there yet. Where it's like, I want to have written a book. Do I want to actually write a book? I'm not sure. Uh, it would be great to have done a TED Talk. I have a crippling fear of doing that kind of slick programmed, memorized talk. My my talks are usually really loose and interactive with the audience and they're not so perfectly scripted it, it, where every word is carefully crafted. And A, it sounds like a lot of work and B, it sounds like so much pressure on stage. So um, I, sure, if I were invited and I was in between gigs and I had the time to dedicate to it, it would be amazing. But um, I also think I'm very young in my career yet. I'm, I'm 33 years old. I've been doing it for about seven, eight years now. Um, there's a lot more that I want to do. And I think along with the growth and experience and the learning will come more wisdom that may make it so that in the future I have something more substantive to say. This could be, you know, the imposter syndrome talking, but I do feel like <laughs> maybe I'm not quite at a stage in my career where I would feel confident to do a TED Talk and I would like to have a little bit more accomplishment under my belt. Well, you, you sure come across as very, very confident. I want to show you definitely. <laughs> it's all an act. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's how it starts and then you become what you act. Exactly. But to a certain extent, it must be genuinely you, um, because one of the points you you, you made this, this morning was uh, to, to be yourself mm. no matter what. 
Yeah. You know, I think uh, the the younger audiences are much more savvy. And we can tell when we're being pandered to. We can tell when we're being lied to. We can tell when we're being marketed to. And the more you can be yourself, the more effective you're going to be. Um, so, yes, this is absolutely me. Uh, and I actually don't have a lot of fear on stage. I think that might be part of it. I'm not one of those people who's ever really suffered from stage fright. When I was a singer, I did. I would get this like really sick feeling in my stomach before I went on, but then it would usually go away. Um, it's, it's more that I'm actually quite shy. And so it takes a lot of energy for me to be open and to be out there. And you'll find that when I'm at conferences, sometimes I'll I'll duck out early. And I don't drink, so I usually don't stay up too late at the bar. I'm a late night person. I stay up late, but I'm not staying up at the bar because, you know, once everybody starts to get really drunk, I don't have much to contribute anymore. But you will find that I'll kind of, I'll, I'll duck out early because it takes a lot out of me to be, um, to be very open on, on stage, for example, because I'm really an introvert. Um, it's, I have a weird job for an introvert, <laughs> um, and it can be very trying, but I, I absolutely love it. And part of the reason it's so much fun and that I love it so much is because I get to meet incredible people like you guys. QED has been amazing because there's this whole world of skeptics across the pond that I don't get to see all the time. There's a handful of people I had already met, uh, Richard Wiseman I had met because of Skeptics Guide. Iran I had met because of Skeptics Guide, you know, because yeah. of the relationships there. But there's so many amazing people that I hadn't had the opportunity to meet. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing that the the number of countries that are represented here, for mm -hmm. example, it's mind blowing. I just um, had quick chats with uh, with people from all across Europe, and uh, I, I'm pretty sure I, I haven't even scratched the surface. And uh, that's that's an uplifting thing to to experience. But since we are a, the European Skeptics Podcast, there is something that you mentioned, um, and I cannot help um, asking about it. Your uh, Italian origin. Yes. Yes, that is European, isn't it? You're right. Um, and also uh, the other half of me. So my father's... My father's father is Italian, um, Lilo Santa Maria, um, and he immigrated to Texas and started a farm there and had my father and his four sisters. And um, my dad, I think, kept his name as his middle name, so Frederick Lee. And I, of course, have my father's last name, and I, I haven't married. I don't, I don't plan on marrying, so I'm, I'm continuing that, um, that surname. My mother is Puerto Rican, which is an American commonwealth, but it's a, a Latin, you know, it's Latin American. But our lineage, it, part of the reason that I don't look very Puerto Rican is because our lineage is actually only a few generations in Puerto Rico. And prior to that, we were in the Canary Islands, which is Spanish. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm very Spanish and very Italian. And when I visit Europe, but I don't speak the language, I'm not culturally that, but my blood is very Spanish and Italian. <laughs> and when I visit Europe, if I'm in Spain or Italy, people will just walk up to me and start speaking the language. And I have to tell them like, no entiendo, like, no, I don't, I don't. <laughs> and then they go, oh, if I'm in Spain, they're like, oh, Italiano. If I'm in Italy, they're like, oh, Espanol. And I'm like, no, 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 Americana. And they lose it. It's so funny how in these like Mediterranean countries, they look at me and they're like, no, no, way. no Americana. <laughs> and I don't know what it is. Is there this perception that Americans are kind of like blonde and blue eyed or that they're, I don't know. I guess I just, I look native to Italy. So that might be why. I can really relate to that because um, I have the same experience. I, I travel a lot around um, Italy and the same thing. Luckily, I, I speak a bit of Italian. But yeah, that's helpful. <laughs> I speak, you know, I speak a little Spanish, so there's 
a lot of crossover there. I can hear certain phrases. <laughs> yeah. And maybe if I, it, I do remember being in Italy once and it was like somebody was speaking to me in Spanish and I was trying to speak back to them and like broken kind of like Spanish and French and then they were you know because they were from like Morocco <laughs> and they didn't speak English but they spoke Spanish and I could speak it was very confusing you know it's like that weird triangle of language that you experience sometimes when you're traveling but it's so much fun yeah that is just amazing and the diversity that that um, this is this is why we even started the podcast itself mm-hmm. because the, the community the skeptic community itself is so diverse and there are lots of languages and uh, non-native uh, English speakers and those countries that that where English is not not the first language or not the official language they are massively underrepresented in the movement uh, or at least they are not they are not really in the focus of things yeah. And uh, we wanted to do something about that. Yeah. So this is why we're here. Um, I'd like to thank you for uh, for for your time that that um, you spent with us here. Uh, it's been lovely, and uh, very nice meeting you. But before we go, mm-hmm. I'd like to ask a question uh, about your dress. Oh yes. You have a wonderful, gorgeous dress. Uh, you look fantastic in it. Is it? Um, the cross-section of retina. It is. This is the uh, cross-section of all the nerve cells in the retina. And um, it's it was made for me for this conference by this um, wonderful... Uh, artist named Holly. She runs a website. Everybody should visit it. It's Shinova, as in she Nova, S-H-E-N-O-V-A, shinovafashion.com. And she makes really high fashion dresses with um, scientifically accurate prints that she she goes to the printers and prints the fabrics herself um, for women because, you know, there's not a lot of ways to be scientifically fashionable. You can maybe rock a cool lab coat and, you know, we can wear t-shirts and guys and girls, we can both wear t-shirts or hoodies that have cool prints on them. But these, she makes these phenomenal dresses. She has some with uh, nerve cells. She has some, uh, she has a new one with the gravitational wave readouts. Which oh, is so wow. amazing. I know, so cool. Um, uh, she she has a new scarf that she I just saw on her Instagram, which is a galaxy print that has LED lights in it. So it's super cool. So I definitely recommend if you are a woman and you want to rock a really fashionable dress that you check that out. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. And uh, if we if we can find someone to to take a photo of the three of us, yeah, then then uh, you can check out the dress. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> definitely. Cool. Thank you very much again. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, who's been really wrong lately in Europe? Pontus. Do you have something to tell us? Yes, and unfortunately it's a very sad one. For because the world is full of sad things. And the latest example I've come across is something called Paida Lagin, or something like that. Let's say that you have a diabetic grandmother of 71 who is scared to take her needles. Mm. That That's not a good situation for a diabetic. So, But what you have to understand then uh, that is that the diabetes is caused by cha. And cha is uh, bad blood or toxins. And luckily, this can be very easily cured. Um, at least if you talk to some people. What is the first rule when you want to cure somebody who is suffering from cha? Um, Any guesses? I don't know. Blood transfusion? No. You should take their money. That's the very important step. You First, you take the money. That, that's the first step to getting cured. I don't like so, that step already. No. So if you pay about uh, 750 pounds per week, uh, that's, that's a good amount for, for grannies, I think. 
So, so you take your grandmother there or somebody's grandmother and you slap her quite uh, harshly. <laughs> because that is what Paidalain is all about. You should ha- slap people hard and repeatedly. Uh, and uh, it's supposed to be a fine Chinese tradition, but uh, I don't know. Um, but you, mo- you want to make sure that you see clear bruises. And it's therapeutic for whom? For the one who's slapping or for yeah. the one who's yeah, being Yeah, that's slapped? a very good question. But I, I guess it doesn't hurt to get be on the p- side that gets paid as well. Is it one of the kung fu styles? Or? Uh, uh, could be. But you want to make... Anyway, you, what you want to make sure is that you see clear bruises and marks on the body. Because that's a good sign that the cha is leaving the patient. Oh. And it's hard work. Uh, it takes about three people to beat up a grandma real good. Oh yo yo. So so this so hold on let me just get it straight. Are you saying that they saying mm-hmm. that uh, the the bruises are the signs of toxin leaving the body not the exactly. fact that the, there is a blood clots under the skin that uh, are produced by beating. Okay. Uh, absolutely. That's that's how it is. So Of course. So I'd like to help these people get rid of their toxins. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. G- giving somebody of their own medicine in this case, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh. Couldn't put it any better. You want some? Yeah. You want some? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but you should do it for a week, and you should also make sure that the subject is fasting and that you stretch her legs in very painful angles. Oh. Th- that's good. Uh, and this is what exactly what Xiao Hongqi is doing. He mm-hmm. is a, g- a guy from Beijing, and he has two colleagues, and they did this to a Mrs. Danielle Cargom, and uh, this grandmother. Uh, was found dead hours after taking oh. part of this so-called self-healing workshop, which took... So basically she was slapped to death? Well, not, that's not the whole truth. Okay. Uh, it took place in uh, uh, at a country hotel in Wiltshire, the UK. But, but the thing is, the reason she died was probably not from the slapping. It's because they convinced her that she should no longer take her uh, dreadful diabetes needles. Oh yeah, of course. So so she probably died out of that. Uh, this is not this is not the first time that uh, Xiao Hongqi, uh, who is now being investigated by the police in the UK, has been in trouble. He has previ- previously been fined by Taiwanese authorities for promoting folk remedies and has been under investigation in Australia concerning the death of a seven-year-old diabetic boy. Uh, So he's made quite a career for himself as... uh, uh, and he preaches about the poison of modern medicine in his talks and he proudly is showing pictures of bruised patients on his website and and this is all testimonies of how, how effective this is. Actually, I took the trouble, and I regret doing it, but I went to his website and read through it, and uh, there is a very disturbing uh, point there regarding a five-month-old baby who had a cold. And this is an exact quote. We just slapped uh, the Datsu acupoint area on the baby, and the symptom relieved greatly. The cold went away completely. And on the same page, is he's writing, According to our experience, the baby actually enjoys being slapped much, as she has very good sleep after being slapped. And I apologize for the bad English, because I think it's Google translated. But this, this is really dreadful. So uh, they're, they're not only slapping old grandmas, they're also slapping basically newborn babies and... Uh, they claim that uh, the baby enjoys it. It's disgusting. It is. 
This is really disgusting. God, that's really why disgusting. we do. This is why we do what we do, just to. But how? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, exactly. Are they being prosecuted for this? Yes. Well, they are not in jail, but they are being under investigation. Xiao Hongqi and his two unnamed uh, collaborators uh, are being investigated in the UK at the moment. But he, I don't think he is in jail. Oh, God. Yeah. So a little bit of a downer here, I think, but very important. So Xiao Hongqi and his gang of child abusing and granny beating morons get today's prize for being really wrong. There's so much worse than being wrong. Yeah, we had to rename this segment soon. This is not strong enough. Scum of the earth, I think. Scum of the earth, yeah. That's the new like segment, that. yeah. This kind of is very um, interesting how the ch- this method is so similar to how exorcisms are conducted. Uh, you know, also, I was actually just reading for it today, uh, doing some research. Uh, on what's the harm.com is it .com or dot .net what's the harm.net you know the what's the harm website yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, there also was this case of a 13 13 month year old baby which they also were they bludgeoned to death to uh, get the devil out the demon out yeah. then another 5 year old girl who was or 6 year old girl who was sleepwalking and her mom also stabbed her to death because thinking that she's possessed by the devil. You know, just absolutely crazy things. Like, I think there should be, in general, there should be billboards everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, hitting people does not yeah. get the negative energy out. It does not get the devil out and does not get chopped no. out. Just stop hitting other people. Stop hitting other people. That's a good motto. If everybody can live up to that, it would be a much yes. better world. Yeah. <laughs> I think, guys, after after this kind of um, bummer of a segment, we need to introduce another segment that, that talks about how can how one can survive in this world and uh, remain positive thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree. I think it's about time to for us to conclude this show. It is. Mm-hmm. So uh, the usual way to do it is with a nice quote. Do you have one for us, Yelena? I do. Um, This quote comes from Marie Shelley, who was an English novelist and the short story writer. She's best known for writing a gothic novel, Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. And she said, in other studies, you go as far as other have gone before you and there is nothing more to know. But in scientific pursuit, there is continual food for discovery and wonder. How nice. Mm. Yeah, nice way to say that science is never done. We can. There's always more. You can yeah. always go further. Yep. All right. So I'd like to thank Claire again for joining us today. Thank you for keeping me here. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great to to have a fourth person kind of pitching in on some of our topics and get it gender ba- balanced more. You mean? <laughs> yeah, girls yes. power. Oh, yes, indeed. It was much more balanced than usual. Wow. Yeah, cool. And with Cara Santa Maria, I have to say we were the minority here, Pontus, today. That's fine. I I like it. (laughs) So do I. So do I. Well, guys, thank you very much for joining me today. Pleasure as always, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And until next week, goodbye. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye.
This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe <sighs> What am I saying? Oh, I, I, don't, I don't know. It's your... Sh- <laughs> you, mean, you, you wrote this stuff, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he just had some notes. On yeah, the back of the, we've uh, only done bucket. it fifty times, you know. Off the record, um, mm-hmm. probably. That, um, <laughs> uh, I, it may be I a secret, declare, but don't, we don't know. Don't give out any information you don't want to. <laughs> okay. Yes, it is okay. Is it my turn? It is. Oops. Okay. It's um. It's what? Hard to finish a sentence. <laughs> it is hard to finish a sentence.